Morning, everyone. Morning. I'm Dave. If I haven't met you before, I am apparently funny, handsome, full of life and full of truth. Uh, but good to be here. Uh, re- this is a real treat. I've never been uh, to West before, particularly in this building. This is very exciting for me today, particularly getting to preach this morning. is a real treat. So thank you very much for having me. I know you didn't have a choice, but no one's tried to kick me out. So, uh, But we have recently started in our church a series in 2 Corinthians called Week but strong. Today we're continuing that. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 11. That's correct. And so you can be looking that up in your Bibles um, just now, but just wanted to kick off with a little story. When I was uh, really young, my parents were pretty strict when it came to what we ate and drank. They were, they were pretty tight on that. So mom was really big on home-cooked foods. There was nothing artificial, nothing processed. And uh, we're eating loads of fruit and veg. We were never really allowed to have like sweets and stuff like that. So when I was maybe about five years old, I'd never had a fizzy drink up to this point. Can you imagine? I mean, call child protection. That's just not on, is it? But um, we, were, we were in a shopping center one day. Uh, me and my mum and my two sisters waiting to get picked up by my dad. And he was taking a little bit of time. So my mum decided to get a little bit of a treat for us. She went and bought us some little Cokes. You know, we get the little paper cups. I'd never had a fizzy drink, and I was flipping starting with Coca-Cola. Oh, my word. I was very excited about this. Like, all my life, well, all my five years up to that point, you know, seeing the Christmas adverts, like, oh, it's the real thing, and all that. I was just like, this is it. This is my moment. It's happening. So I got the paper cup, the red and white Coke logo, and I had a drink. Guys, oh, nectar from the heavens. It was incredible. I'd never tasted anything like it in my life. This honestly like blew past all my expectations. And I'm sipping away and I'm soaking with a straw, getting all the wee bits, and I get to the end and I'm a little bit guided, but it's time to go. My sister has put their paper cups in the bin, not me. I hold on to that guy. And when I get home, I rinse it out and I lovingly wash the cup. And then I go up to my room and I take the cup and I cut the bottom of the cup off and cut up the sides and I put it on my wall. Coca-Cola. And then when anyone comes into my room, I'm like, I had a Coke. (laughs) No big deal, no big deal, I had a Coke. None of your roller cola nonsense, Aldi's own brand, this was the big leagues. This was Coca-Cola. I'd had the real thing, and I wanted everyone to know about it. You know, when me and you, when us together, when we experience the real thing, the real McCoy, imitations just don't match up, do they? You're just like, that's the real thing. The scripture we're going to be looking at today is all about comfort. And when we hear that word, I don't know what comes into your mind. Maybe it's something like a duvet day. You're sat watching a film, kind of snuggled like that on the couch. Or maybe it's, it's you know, stodgy food, like mac and cheese, a winter warm and that kind of thing. Maybe it's a travel pillow. I'm one of those people that never has one of those and is very envious of people on long journeys who've got travel pillows. I'm like, ah, I want that thing. Maybe... It's someone being sympathetic when you're having a tough time, putting an arm around your shoulder. Maybe it's payday and there's money in your wallet again. These might be some of the things that come to our mind when we think about comfort. But often when we look at comfort, we can see it as something that brings us pleasure or brings us a kind of a distraction from the pain that we might be experiencing or the discomfort we're experiencing. And here Paul, he's discovered what real comfort is. And who it's from. And a little bit like me with my coat cup on the wall. It's like in this scripture, Paul has plastered comfort all over the place. He doesn't want us to miss it. 
because he wants to let us know really clearly this kind of comfort, this is the real deal. This is what you want in your life. Accept no imitation. So we're going to read from chapter 1, 3 to 11, and I want you to see how many times you can spot the word comfort or comforts or comforted because Paul is really hammering this home. Okay. So from verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces a new patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had already received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Amen. How many times do we get shout out? Nine? Nine? You're all correct. And there's no prize. Sorry. But well done. You can walk out here with your head held high. Fantastic job. You know, this is something nine times. That's a lot, right? In quite a short, short space of time. Paul is really trying to hammer this home to us. This idea of when it comes to suffering and difficulty, God is our comforter. That's one of his names. That's one of his attributes. But we want to ask the question today, well, how is this comfort any different from any kind of comfort we would receive elsewhere? What is real comfort? What is it all about? How is it different? So the first thing we're going to talk about that's going to come up on the screen behind me is when we experience God's comfort, our trust in him deepens. Uh, I've got a son called Judah. You might have seen him this morning scampering about. Uh, he is almost 18 months old, which is crazy. So I've, I've heard people say with, with babies and toddlers, you tend to either have a walker or a talker. We have definitely got a talker. He loves to chat. A wee while ago, he went away for a few days. We, hadn't, well, we went away with Hazel. He didn't just like, you know, take himself off. Hazel, my wife, uh, and Judah went off for a few days. We hadn't seen him for a bit, and he came back to the house. And he'd never said this before, but he poked his head around the door and went, Daddy, where are you? I was like, oh, my word. Oh, I died a little inside in a good way. It was like really, <laughs> I was really very proud. So he, he loves chatting. He chats all the time. Walking, moving around, that's like been a little bit of a slower thing. He's getting there. But in particular, over the last while, he's been doing a lot of climbing and trying to climb down things. And uh, so we, we were sat on the couch and uh, reading a book or something. And then he kind of just goes like this and creeps over to the edge and like puts his head over as if like, oh, I'm just going to like lean over and go off. And I'm thinking, you know, alarm bells, this is bad. Don't let the baby fall off the couch. So what I do is I grab him by the ankle and then just gently push him forward until his head connects with the floor and then 
release. And then that's it. And he kind of awkwardly twists around and un, you know, untangles himself and crawls away. Father of the year. Pretty great, right? I'm like, I've, I've averted that crisis. He's not hit his head. And I was pretty pleased with myself and my parenting skills until I saw what Hazel did in the exact same situation. Judah wanted to get off the couch. And what she did was she turned him backwards. And then he slid off backwards and landed on his feet. And I thought, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> that should have been what I did right away. No one has written a manual for parents that I can find, so I just have to make this up as I go along. But Hazel's approach was obviously a lot better than mine. But you can understand why Judah wanted to kind of crawl and look over the edge and kind of go down that way. Why he would want to go head first. Because that was his first instinct. Because to go backwards, that takes trust, right? That feels like an extra step because you can't see the floor beneath you. You can't see what's coming up. And yet, he has learned really quickly that actually to go backwards, and even though you can't see where you're going, and to put your feet on the floor is a much better way to go. Even though he can't see it, he's always going to land safely. And because he's experienced that so many times, he's got so bold with it. Like, he'll be going, now he does this thing where he like slides down the stairs. He just goes like that, and then he just goes... Like that, and just like goes down the stairs super quick. Like he's supervised, you don't just let him do that on his own. But it's amazing. So like he has learned, if I go backwards, it's going to be okay. The floor is going to be there. And so when we're talking about comfort, when we're talking about going through suffering of some kind, I think often our first instinct can be to take matters into our own hands. It can be to go head first, if you like, where we feel more in control. So our reaction might be, I just need to shut the world out. I need to be away from everyone. Or I need to veg out in front of the couch and just eat junk food and watch TV. Or I need to offload to friends and tell them all my stuff. Or I need to bombard myself with distraction, just, you know, be distracted from what's going on. And those things, you know, they're not all bad. They're not wrong things per se. And a bunch of them could actually help us. But what Paul is telling us is, is his experience has been rather than relying wholly on any of those things or anything else, his first move is always to turn to God and to expect him to meet him where he's at. And when we do that, when we choose to do the same as Paul, I think it's a little bit like going down the couch backwards, not being able to see the floor underneath because we're given control to God in those moments rather than trying to manage our own pain and kind of do it ourselves. So if we're willing to see God as our source of comfort, what we're quickly going to discover is that he's consistent every time he meets us where we're at. And as a result, that, that trust in him can deepen because our experience tells us, yeah, God's going to catch me again. Verse 10 that we read today says, on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a, sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. God will consistently meet us in our pain. You know, we have these promises throughout Scripture that this is who God is. Isaiah, he says this. God says things like, I am the one who comforts you. And then again in Isaiah, I will comfort you as a mother comforts her child. And Jesus says in Matthew, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's who God is. We can't get away from the fact that this is all over God's character. He is the God of all comfort. And if you're anything like me, you can know that in your head. Ah, dramatic pause. You can know that in your head 
And yet there's situations where you try and wrestle that control away from them. So imagine that you're in a restaurant and the waiter's going to bring you your food and you're sat there and then you go, do you know what? I think I'm going to do this. And so you get up and then you march into the kitchen, you open the double doors and you just start grabbing pans and like food and stuff like that and just try and throw together a meal for yourself. Be a little bit weird, wouldn't it? For tons of reasons, you'd be like, what is going on here? Why would that be weird? It's not your job to do that, is it? That is not your job in that scenario. When you're in the restaurant, when you've been stuck to like go and be like, no, I'll sort this out. That'd be so odd if you did that. It's not our job to bring comfort to ourselves. It's not our job to spring into action when difficulty comes and say, don't worry, Lord, I've got this. I can handle this. It's okay. Why? Why are you handling it? What Paul is doing here is he's identifying that this is a significant part of who God is. God, our comforter. And it's actually a significant way that we as his people are supposed to relate to him. We're supposed to put him in this position of being our comforter. And and to do that, we have to admit our inability and our weakness. And that we're going to go through stuff that we can't sort out ourselves. And we have to allow him to come in and do that. Now, just to say, we have to be really careful here with what Paul is saying, not to misunderstand him, to think that God is going to come and take away all of our problems. He's going to block all suffering in our lives. We know that there's moments where God does do that, where he comes and he changes situations around, and that's amazing. But we also know that none of us live lives that are immune from pain. And the Bible actually tells us we're to expect that stuff's going to go wrong from time to time. And even though we have this question maybe, of how God can allow this suffering in the world and in our lives. And that's a big one that we're probably going to come back to time and time again through our lives. A big piece of the puzzle for me that tells me that actually my God is good and that he isn't malicious or uncaring is his response to my pain. He is a father that rushes in wanting to bring comfort to his children. And that's the picture that Paul is painting for us here today. And it's not the comfort that we talked about before, that kind of hollow, you know, they're there, it'll be all right, or comfort that's just centered around our pleasure and our enjoyment. But it's so much richer than that. The word that is used in the Greek for for comfort in in this case means two things. The first thing is it means a kind of drawing right alongside us, coming right up close. And the second part is pouring in strength and help and encouragement. That's what the comfort of God looks like. This drawing close and pouring in everything that we need in that situation. How sweet is that? It's a little bit better than Ben and Jerry's, isn't it? Like, that is amazing. We need to look to God for comfort. Friends are good. And we should talk to other people about the difficult things we face because that's healthy and that's important to do. But why wouldn't we make it our first priority to go to God? He is the God of all comfort. Why wouldn't we bring him into our situations and be like, God, I need you. It's not a magic wand that takes everything away, but if we choose to go to him and not look to ourselves or anyone else or anything else, we're going to find the floor beneath our feet every time we go to him. And just just as I've been reading and, and studying this, there was... One commentary that had a few words that just leapt out to me that that really held challenge for me and maybe for a bunch of us here. I think it's going to be relevant for us all. 
But just when we deal with really hard situations, it was these words. Allow him to comfort you. Allow him to comfort you. Are you allowing him to comfort you? Is he your comforter? Maybe for some of us, we don't want to give him that position in our pain. Maybe we feel better when we're in control. Where we're going head first and we've got a handle on things, we think. Or maybe we just want to shake things off and just keep going and ignore the stuff that's happening around us. Maybe we don't want to put ourselves in a weak position. Maybe we feel angry towards God. Maybe we question, why didn't you come in in that situation? Why didn't you do what I hoped for in that situation? What we see in this passage is he loves us. He is for us and he is good. And so let's allow him to comfort us today. We've got to trust him. And, and if, you've, if you feel this morning that you've strayed from that place of trusting God with your pain, with your disappointment and your hurt, he wants to draw you back. We've been singing this morning about us drawing near to God and standing on holy ground and him coming and bringing healing. And there, there's so much truth in that. And we want to live that out as well, don't we? And actually in our pain, hand it over to God. And watch as he comes closest, close to us and just pours in everything we need. That's our God. So that's the first thing. He deepens trust. And the second thing, and I'm going to speed up as we go, don't worry. The second thing is that God's, this comfort from him builds endurance. Uh, I was doing gardening recently, which I don't often say. I'm not brilliant at it, to be honest. Uh, a wee while ago in our garden, it was, it was the dream. It was basically chuckies, you know, like stones. Right? That was it. And it was just, it was amazing. It was so easy, like low maintenance. Two most beautiful words in the English language. I loved it. Because I'll just look out and be like, I don't need to do anything. This is great. But uh, since we've had our wee boy, we thought we should put some, some grass out for him to play. So I'd, I'd uh, thrown some seeds. And you can tell just by the way I'm talking about it that I didn't do it particularly well. But I threw some seeds and prayed for grass. And some grass came for a while. But since then, it's looking a little bit bald. It's looking a little bit sparse and a bit yellow. And... Next door, there's just this lush green grass. You know that thing of like the grass is always greener? In this case, it's certainly green. I can see. I can literally just lean over and see how much greener it is. But anyway, so our, gar our garden isn't amazing, but there's one particular plant that is thriving in our garden. It's doing so well, and I wonder if anyone can relate to this. It's the weeds. The weeds are everywhere in our garden, and they are having a jolly time. They're doing great. And uh Weirdly, I feel like I've got a grudging respect for weeds. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. Like, you, they annoy you, but you're like, you can't keep a good weed down, can you? Like, they're really great. So, like, you know, I'll go out, I'll go out, and I'll, I say I'll go out, like, this happens frequently. This maybe happened three times or something, but I'll go out and tr try and tackle the weeds, and I'll, I'll be hacking away and stuff. I think, brilliant, that's it done. Don't need to worry about them. See you later, weeds. And then literally, like, two weeks later, they're, they're everywhere. And they're bigger and badder than before. Like, they are resilient things, aren't they? Like, you can hack them, you can go right down to the roots, and they can still come back. And they can grow in all sorts of places that other plants wouldn't last at all. The amount that these plants put up with is incredible. And Paul lays out for us in this scripture how, like these plants, he's taken some knocks. He has experienced some real suffering in his life, almost like the weeds getting hacked away at. That's what it's been like for Paul. He has experienced real suffering, and yet he's seen God carry him through 
those moments and bring him comfort every single time. And not only has it deepened his trust like we've already spoken about, but it's fostered this persistence in Paul. These plants in my garden, like Paul, have got deep roots. Despite what goes on around them, you know, on the surface, underneath, they're drawing everything that they need from the soil. And that image of these roots going deep is what we need to be like as followers of Jesus. We want to anchor ourselves in him and in the comfort that he brings to us. And Paul says the result of that is that it produces this patient endurance in the middle of suffering. And his testimony was that he was able to rely on God and see, and he was able to come through a time where the pressure was so great, he says it exceeded his own human ability to endure. I don't know exactly what that looked like, but he said it felt like a death sentence on him. That's how intense it was. And yet, he was still standing. And what that highlights to me is our own ability to endure is not good enough. No matter who we are, whether we feel like we're brilliant at endurance, whether we're training at the gym all the time, we're like, yeah, I can, I can do this, or we're not like that at all. The reality is, if we want to walk closely to Jesus all through our lives, we need his help to endure. We can't do it alone. And you might relate to this, but I know people who have been through really, really hard things in their life, like real pain and suffering, and it's driven them away from God. It's rocked their faith to the point that they've actually rejected him. And you know what? It's heartbreaking for those people what they have been through. But also that the enemy has been able to get in and put this wedge between them and God. And I don't want that for me in my life. But I know that if I'm not deliberate in planting myself in Jesus, in drawing from him, that when the storm comes, I'm not going to be prepared. I'm not going to be able to endure because my strength and what I can do on my own is not enough. But the amazing thing is that for us, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you don't need to sit and worry about what happens when that storm comes, what happens if the worst case scenario plays out in my life. Because Paul is saying, foster this dependency on God. He says in verse 6, this comfort produces a new patient endurance in suffering. There's another um, verse I love in the Psalms that says this. It's on the same lines, but it says, Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. And it's this really, I love this idea of setting your face like flint, of being like stone, being like this immovable object that no matter what comes at it, it's not going anywhere. Wind and waves are not going to shift it at all. It's like, oh, I'm here. You're this fixed point. How are we able to do that? Because we try really hard? Because we're really great and disciplined? No, let's go back to the start of that verse. What does it say? Because the sovereign Lord helps me. It's only because of his help. It's only because of the stuff that he pours into us and what we draw from him that we're able to endure. And so we have the freedom of being able to live in the reality that we're not going to get knocked off. We're not going to get taken out of the game because Jesus is with us and because he is giving us everything that we need to endure. I want to take solace this morning in the fact that it says he is with us in all of our troubles. There's nothing that's excluded in that. It's not like, well, he's, he's with us in some of the stuff, but the really tough stuff, like, you know, not much God can do. It's every single time, every trouble, God is with us, giving us what we need. I don't need to fear that 
you know, my relationship with Jesus is going to get derailed because of what happens to me. Because he can carry me past the point that my own strength can take me. And that's good. And just for, for us today, maybe there's some of us here this morning that we feel like we're going through some really hard things. That things feel shaky. Maybe your relationship with God feels uncertain. And I think what God would want to say to us today is, is come to me. Come close to me. Cast all of your cares on me and ask for my help and my strength and my comfort. Isn't it amazing that we serve a God who meets us in our pain? So we need to go to him. So that's the, the, the second thing we've got. It deepens trust and it builds endurance. And when we allow him to comfort us, the last thing, and we'll be really quick with this, is we become comforters. Um, I was reading a bit about the Queen Mother recently, as you do. You know, just the research. Uh, she died in 2002 at the ripe old age of 101, which is pretty good. She's one of the few people who has lived across three centuries as well, which is quite cool. Anyway, um, but she was uh, she was quite an interesting person. So she she loved champagne. That was a thing that was well known about her. Uh, she had a hip operation when she was 97, and she managed to smuggle 12 bottles of champagne into the hospital ward with her, uh, in her words, to make her stay more comfortable. So that's quite nice. But uh, during the Second World War, like this amazing stuff she did. She, she would go on these diplomatic tours all across North America and Europe, and people just loved her everywhere she was. And actually, she was so popular and so influential that Germany started to see her as a threat to their goals and what they wanted to do. And Hitler named her as the most dangerous woman in Europe. That's a pretty good brag, isn't it? Like, flipping out. So she's this, she'd won the affection and the love of people everywhere. And a big part of what she would do is she would go around to try and bring comfort to thousands who'd lost homes and jobs and loved ones in World War II. And in particular, she would go to the East End in London, where, where the bombing had been really, really severe. And it wasn't uh, until a little while later that her own home, Buckingham Palace, was, was bombed as well. And I think in the end it was bombed maybe nine times, so it was hit quite severely. And her reaction to that was amazing, because what she said was, at last, I can look the East End in the face. It's quite a good attitude, isn't it? It's not like, oh no, it's, it's oh no, I can look the East End in the face. I can go alongside these people and bring comfort to them in a fresh way. And that's totally what she did. You know, the comfort that God brings, as I've already said, is different to that of the world. Paul says God comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. In other words, just by receiving comfort from God, he enables and equips us to be a comfort to other people who need it. And like the Queen Mother, when we experience suffering ourselves, it's like we're able to relate to others going through a hard time and bring them comfort. Like, I'm sure a bunch of us have experienced that, right? You're going through a hard time, and someone who you know has has not experienced that, you know, well-meaning, but it might just be like, oh, they're there, you'll be okay. And it doesn't really kind of bring comfort in the way maybe they intend. But if you're talking to someone who's been through the same thing that you've been through, that's a world of difference right there, isn't it? You know, they, they've walked that same road that you have, and that makes a real difference. In the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our pain, God does this really kind thing where he can take an awful situation we're going through, he can bring comfort to us, and then use that experience to make us a comfort and a blessing to someone else going through something similar. Isn't that good? Romans 8 says, we know in all things God works 
for the good of those who love him. Even though we can't understand why we go through suffering, God can take a situation like that and allow us to bring healing, the healing and comfort that we've already received into someone else's life. So sweet. And this is how the comfort of God is different to us seeking comfort in our own lives. Or, because when we do that, it's about our pleasure, making sure that we're okay, looking after number one, making sure that we're fine. Whereas the comfort of Jesus, what it does is it, is it does something in us that switches on this like compassion switch almost. And it's like, oh my word, the people that have been through the stuff that I've been through, like I can, you know, I can do something in those situations. We're given this greater capacity to love and comfort them the way that God does with us. Going through suffering can sometimes make us insular, bitter, angry, make us want to retreat from the rest of the world. But somehow God takes those moments of hurt and suffering and he can make us into agents of hope and healing and comfort. So good. Again, this isn't us bypassing suffering, but it's us finding ourselves in the worst of circumstances and finding a God who weeps with us, who fully knows what it means to suffer. If anyone knows about suffering, it's Jesus. In those moments, he draws near and we find that we're not alone. And that leads us to worship him and to see who he is, a bigger picture of who he is, and then to tell others and to bring comfort into their lives, the kind of comfort only he can bring. What has God done in your life? In which moments have you allowed him to be the comforter? And where is he asking you to be a comfort to someone else and point him to, to this authentic, real comfort we've been talking about that comes from nowhere else but him? So this is God, our comforter. It deepens our trust in him when we experience his comfort. It builds endurance in us and it spurs us on to be a comfort to others. Why don't we stand?